like they're coming to kill me of course they are yeah but that's, that's the game <laughs> yeah so i was just like ah oh, fuck i'll watch some movies until this is over wait was one of those movies the horror of dracula uh no i watched i i had already watched it and i re-watched it again this morning but i watched uh frankenstein must be destroyed and like is that the first time you've seen that yeah yep and I was blown away. It's marvelous. It. Uh, really good. Yeah. Um, that That's hammer on all all cylinders. That's why I say. And I saw, like, Aaron post something about, uh, you know, Peter Cushing's one of his favorite actors. And I, I agree. You know, that that whole thing very strongly influenced my, you know, not only the redeadening, but it came from the garage. More so than reanimator which a lot of people go straight to reanimator because just because i had the green glowy juice yeah you know i mean yeah it, that's a visual thing but like those movies there's just something beautiful about like that primitive sense of science in that victorian era oh yeah where they were they really were butchers and they were just you know figuring it out and it's just like that thin line between you know being a murderer and being a doctor <laughs> yeah yeah um i uh i like that it was not a not necessarily a typical frankenstein story you know and i also like that we've gotten so um used to referring to frankenstein and people think of the monster where it's like frankenstein's the title's referring to the doctor you know which it always was it's just that right people are stupid and they've always just like that's a frankenstein like yeah 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 like the shorthand like i understand it like yeah I mean, I always refer to the monster as Frankenstein just in shorthand, right? Yeah. But it's like, I know that there's the difference. The major glaring difference is that the monster is Frankenstein's monster. Frankenstein right. is the doctor, you know? Yeah. That, that'd be like the kid in Jaws saying, like, Mom, I got hit by a Dracula. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, but I, I like that uh, it was like telling the story of a of what Frankenstein could do to someone and his morals are so fucked up that the doctor has to be destroyed, you know? Oh man. Yeah. Heart, like crazy yeah, movie. It, it, because it was, it's like it was actual not... science trying to advance science and, you know, <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, he, he saved his friend and created a monster. The, yeah. the, the only scene that's hard to watch, I, I think is the, the scene where like he just gets rapey with Veronica Carlson for no reason. Yeah. And like what <laughs> that came out of left field for me but. yeah it, it's out of character and both actors were very much against it but that was kind of like a studio thing where it's like we got to sex this movie up a bit you know yeah, it's probably the same thing with friday the 13th part three you know with like making jason rape chris higgins and it's it's like no no nobody would do this and um everybody's against it so i don't know but I was really surprised by that one. For me personally, like we can start recording it whenever. But for me personally, I have like such a fondness for like a short window of horror, right? Basically from like the late 70s to like mid 90s, you know? And I often disregard anything that comes before Halloween, you know? Like, I don't care. So I'm trying to like expand like horror of like or like my likes and dislikes of horror which is like you know why i bought i had already seen horror of dracula but i hadn't seen like frankenstein must be destroyed so i'm mm -hmm. kind of like wanting to go to these older movies and see what they're about now you, know? you bought those two because it was like a frequently bought together kind of thing uh no just because the sheer number of reviews that's what I went off of. They both had like really high review counts compared to the other Hammer Horror movies. So mm -hmm. it's like, well, obviously more people have seen these if there's more reviews than other ones. 
and they're all getting like five star reviews. So might as well just start there, you know? I mean, it, it's the absolute, like right at the beginning, they hit on something special. And I think they carried that from Horror of Dracula over into Curse of Frankenstein. And then that just kicked off the hammer cycle like full cylinders. So by the time they got to the third, fourth movie in either series, Dracula, Frankenstein, they were really firing on all cylinders. Okay. Like, it's, it, it's pretty interesting to go back to, like, I, I, I almost feel like these movies are, like, lost in time. I don't understand why they're not talked about as much or regarded as much because even without like knowing or seeing like any of the Bela Lugosi stuff, you still, you don't have to see them to know about them. And I had never seen or knew that Christopher Lee was Dracula until you mentioned something about it. And I was like, what <laughs> you know uh-huh. like it i didn't it there it wasn't even on my radar so i feel like even though i know that these were are real movies i feel like i've been berenstein bared on this one uh-huh. because i feel like they're from an alternate universe like an alternate reality that somehow got sucked into this reality because it's like you go from 1934 bela lugosi to basically like my memory of Bram Stoker's Dracula in the nineties, the Coppola film. Yeah. And nothing in between, you know? Well, that's a great place to interject that this is another fantastic episode of the post credits (laughs) podcast. Talking this entire time has been my co-host, Mr. Matt Pepler. I am of course, Brian Schoff. Nobody cares. (laughs) So we're here to talk about the horror of Dracula, the marvelous Christopher Lee, Second coming of the Dracula reinvention yeah. after the Universal Monster Cycle. Yeah. Kind of kind of got put on ice for a while. People thought they were tired of monsters. They had atomic horror. And then along comes color, color TV. And then <laughs> here comes color film. And then here comes Dracula Hammer. Let's reinvent that because that's in the public domain. Let's actually do red bloods and like really gothic horror <laughs> with modern right. production values and it just exploded all over again because dracula is timeless right um but yeah it's just it did and i enjoyed like researching like the success of this movie or these movies hammer horror like the birth of hammer horror all this stuff um but still it's just this super weird feeling for me that i can't really like pinpoint other than it just seems like these things aren't real. Like, how did, how did, because we're talking not just a couple movies. We're talking, what, 30, yeah, 40? A franchise that spans almost, like, almost 20 years. Yeah. And the fact that I just knew nothing about them for the longest time seriously blows my mind. And especially when Christopher Lee has had an enormous career. Like, you think my just like natural like researching things because i always like to know what other people have done what directors have done what that i would have would have come across christopher lee as dracula earlier than what i have you know and it's one of his most famous roles of course but it's like christopher (laughs) lee to me is the man with the golden gun Uh um lord of the rings uh count dooku you know? Yeah. So George Lucas was a Hammer fan, right? Count Dooku, Count Dracula. Mm-hmm. See what you did right. there, right? It goes way beyond that, as most people know, because David Prowse, who played Darth Vader, was in one of the later Frankenstein films as the monster, one of the worst monsters in the entire Frankenstein series, quite frankly. But he was there. Um, Peter Cushing, Dr. Frankenstein, also Van Helsing in the the dracula series went on to be in star wars yeah grand moff tarkin yep so so let's go back let's jump in the way back machine for a second so what was your introduction to hammer horror i don't remember okay it was either one of two things but i think they both happened around the same time and it was either knowing the poster artwork because the poster artwork for um 
camera horror is so impressive, especially if you love typography, um, like how to use fonts correctly. Uh, it's really awesome, the treatment that they do for their posters. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, like Crash Course 101 and like visual hierarchy for typography design, you know? Uh, just you just look at any hammer horror. But also, in college sometime, we had a discussion, and I don't remember like the fine details of it, but you were talking about like horror movies, and then you had mentioned Christopher Lee as Dracula. And I was like, probably said something stupid, like, when's that coming out? <laughs> So I don't remember you saying anything that stupid. <laughs> I, I think you remember, um, or I, let me rephrase that. I seem to remember, um, recommending a couple of them and the series is split up because distribution was split up where Warner brothers owned some of them, someone else owned the other one. So the ones that usually come in a series together are like curse of Dracula, horror of Dracula, curse of Frankenstein. Sorry. The titles get a little interchangeable. <laughs> I love oh, the I movies. Understand. When I recommended this one, I said to you, uh, Count of Dracula. And I was like, no, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I thought that was just autocorrect, but I'm, I'm glad it was an actual mistake. Horror yeah. of Dracula, Curse of Frankenstein, Frankenstein Must Be Destroyed, Dracula is Risen from the Grave, um, Taste the Blood of Dracula. Those movies are all owned by Warner Brothers, along with some of the less savory entries in the series like Dracula 1979 AD, which is this mind blowing. <laughs> it's supposed to be this mind blowing reinvention in the future where they've got this kind of like black exploitation music going on. It's kind of a detective movie <laughs> and it's just, I don't know, Dracula's a James Bond, Bond villain. It's, it's weird. And then they, that had a sequel, the satanic rites of Dracula, which the opening was, ripped off it's grand theft cinema ripped off almost shot for shot in the opening cutscene of castlevania rondo of blood okay and then they're like yeah this modern dracula shit's not working so they did scars of dracula which was the the very last one with christopher lee which isn't a bad remake it's it's a little cheap looking but it, it's not a bad remake and it's kind of like a soft reboot of the series because it goes back to the gothic roots. And then we get, you know, Dracula and the Kung Fu vampires. <laughs> <laughs> Which Christopher Lee said no to, but Peter Cushing did, so. Well, apparently um, Christopher Lee was like basically blackmailed into doing all the Dracula stuff. Um, he didn't want to do them again. And then like the makers of the movie would come back and be like but we already sold the movie with you in it and you got to be in it if you're not in it we can't make the movie and if we're not making the movie we're not employing all these people right think of the <laughs> jobs that won't be had if you say yeah. no to this yeah yeah pretty famously the second film in the series dracula prince of darkness he refused to say any of the dialogue so he yeah. has no dialogue in that movie it's actually a pretty good movie, and I, I would love to see how terrible the dialogue was <laughs> that that made him just be like, we're not doing this, old boy. Like, <laughs> Yeah. Because Christopher Lee is a legitimate badass. Like, He is. He, uh, he won an award for his metal bands when he was 91 years old. Well, let's let's go back even further. You know, the man fought in World War II. He was cousin of Ian Fleming, creator of James Bond. Which is pretty impressive. Like, kind of coming full circle, because I didn't know that. And then he plays the villain in The Man with the Golden Gun. Yeah. Which, you know, I mean, that's, that's, awesome. that's just smart casting, being he was a prominent actor at the time. Climb Mount Kilimanjaro for fun. <laughs> you know? know that. <laughs> And and again, goes back to being kind of a prominent actor, English actor, known for being the heavy, on and on and on. So those guys must have had some balls to stand up to this almost seven-foot-tall guy and be like, <laughs> you're going to be in our Dracula film because if you don't, things and yeah. stuff. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. 
And he just looks at him with the the, the clear eyes, the dry eyes, like the right. <laughs> those amazing sclera contacts that must have just freaked people right the fuck out when they saw that because that was brand new technology at the time. Yeah, yeah. I I want to talk about um, age in this movie and like my perception of age and how it affects how I view things or especially characters in movies, because I looked at Christopher Lee's age when he made this movie, and he was 36 years old. Okay. And I just, it blows my mind that he looks older than Keanu Reeves does now, and Keanu Reeves is 56, you know? Well, you know, lived through World War II. (laughs) (laughs) Climb a mountain. Bullets flying over your head. So yeah. yeah, they must have painted the gray end to his hair. Yeah, yeah. And I'm probably I'm I'm certain that they must have done some sort of like latex work to kind of like accentuate wrinkles, kind of like how they did with uh Max von Sydow in um Exorcist because like no one would hire him for a long time cuz they thought he was old as fuck even though he was like middle-aged, you know, mm-hmm. while he made that movie. Um, but, uh, he definitely looks more, uh, worn and weathered than I would imagine a 36 year old looks, you know? Uh, so I kind of feel like there must be something at play to make that intentional because he's Dracula and Dracula's been around for forever, you know? Uh-huh. I wonder so. if that's why they buried him in makeup during the Curse of Frankenstein and their mummy film oh i i don't know i have not seen them yet (laughs) so um no i just i find it really interesting this perception and it goes like even my view of like Mulder and scully from the x-files i still feel like they're older than i am now even though i'm definitely (laughs) older than them as they were in the X-Files. So you mean watching the show, you feel like you're looking at adults doing this and you're just... Adult not... things, right? Okay. And I'm still like a child. <laughs> like, one day I'll grow up. <laughs> and I'm going to be like that and we're going to hunt ghosts and it'll be fun. <laughs> yeah. How do I How do I get into the FBI as a 37-year-old graphic designer? You know? Well, you got a college degree. They like college degree. Yep. They, they don't give a shit what it is. <laughs> no, for real. Like, <laughs> you just need a college degree. And you can pretty much get an, an interview with the FBI at one of their uh, recruiting recruiting camps. I went I went to a job fair with uh, a buddy of mine, and they were more interested in me with my bullshit <laughs> media degree than than my buddy who was uh, you know <laughs> criminal science minor <laughs> just because I had a college degree. Go figure. Oh uh, yeah, the uh, going back to the award, he won the Spear of Hammer Award in 2010 uh at the metal hammer golden gods award ceremony for his heavy metal albums i mean that's just crazy to me he's 91 years old releasing like two heavy metal albums and it's just like hey, i'm gonna I guess i'll win some awards what does he do does he play an instrument or sing god forbid well i i you know i i didn't take a listen to it before the episode but the band is called charlemagne um and I'm not sure if he sang, but he was, uh, he could sing opera, you know? So wow. maybe he, like, maybe he was singing in it, you know? Well, I mean, he's, you know, when, a... when you say opera, like, there's very specific ranges. Of, oh, right. You know, tenor, falsetto, et cetera. Right. Not, not everybody's just Michael Ball. <laughs> right, right. Um, and I, I don't know, yeah, what, I guess, pitch or notes he sang in, whatever. Um but I, I just it's it's one of those things that illustrates like how talented Christopher Lee actually was, where it's like, I'm going to do all these things, you know, um, mm-hmm. it's pretty it's really impressive to me. And just at 91, man, I feel like I mean, I would just need to take a nap at the thought of creating a metal band. And, you know, he's <laughs> almost three times my age is like winning awards and shit. Yeah. What's your excuse? <laughs> right. Right. Is this the oldest movie we've done on the show so far? It is. 
It definitely is. All right. By a long shot, too. I think we've only a lot of, been a lot of 80s. Yeah, a lot of 80s stuff, but I don't think we've hit anything in the 70s yet, have we? So I'm asking I you. Don't believe so. I don't believe so. I'm gonna say no on that, but feel free to prove me wrong. Yeah, please, internet. We love that. <laughs> in in the bitchiest way possible. Write it in. <laughs> <laughs> right. So let's talk a little bit about how this movie, because you brought up Bram Stoker's Dracula, the the Coppola film from the early 90s, where that tried to be a really literal adaptation of Dracula. Mm -hmm. This tried to be more of a reboot, kind of remixed it a bit because they thought, okay, you know, Dracula is old, tired. You know, people know that story. What can we bring to the table besides just color film and red blood? So let's talk about how they remixed that a little bit. Well, they don't have... um... Dracula's minion, uh, Renfield, in nope. it anymore, um, and that uh, the uh, Harkin, Harker, Harker, sorry, Harker, who came to in this movie came to uh, Transylvania or the castle as a librarian to kind of index the books that Dracula had. Uh, in the book, he was also a vampire hunter and went there for a purpose. So, in this movie. Uh, really? Hark- what was he a vampire hunter in the novel? Yeah, I don't. I don't yeah. remember that. Yeah, the- he was kind of. It seemed like, and my my memory is kind of fuzzy on Bram Stoker's Dracula, the novel. But I I remember that it was almost like he was a had like double identity, and he was working alongside with Van Helsing from the get go, not just an innocent bystander, uh, as portrayed in horror of dracula you know who's going there to do a job doesn't quite understand pretty much any other interpretation of dracula where he's just there as a bureaucrat to rubber stamp the sale of carfax abbey sign here wham bam thank you ma'am and becomes kind of a hostage and and bargaining chip now yeah i don't remember that it's been a while since i've read the the novel and I wonder if the version that I have was school sanitized because I bought it from one of those book fairs, which, you know, okay. kids that are listening to this are probably like, what is that? Is that something that goes on your, you know, iPad or something? But they used to come around like once a quarter with like, hey, kids, here's a book. And then, you know, you get $2 to, to buy something, make it yeah. count, and then you do a book report on it. So both my copy of Dracula and Frankenstein came from the book fair and I've got like the, I'll, we'll, I'll send you a picture. We, we can throw it up on social media <laughs> sure. where it's like you open it up and it's got like the fucking teddy bear stamped inside to show that you paid for it, <laughs> you know, <laughs> in second grade. You know what, uh, uh, you know what book I got at the, one of those, um, book fairs, the scholastic book fairs uh-huh. was the, um, scary stories to tell in the dark trilogy okay which like is so shocking now because at the time i don't know like we just didn't have much parent oversight in the 80s and 90s right so they're just like whatever sell whatever and those paintings are horrifying you say that there was also the idea that if you turned your back on your child that meant that you did your job as a parent because you could trust them uh, I, I, I guess I would agree to that to a certain extent. I mean, it, it's kind of flipped. I feel like now it's like parents are too nosy into what their kids are about. Yeah, you're in a you police know? state, and that's just how it is. <laughs> right. Right. Um, but I just remember being, like, absolutely, like, awestruck by the artwork in those books. And I'm like, I also kept thinking, like, looking around, I'm like, is it okay that I'm looking at spiders crawling out of a woman's face, you know? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, whatever. But yeah, that that those were the books that I bought, and I don't think they were dumbed down for kids. Dracula might have been, but it's really funny to me to see a a rubber, uh, a rubber stamp of the teddy bear. Yeah, no, I'll get that over to you. It's 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 brilliant. Um, Frankenstein was the same way. That one's probably school sanitized a bit, I imagine, because that book was considered blasphemy when it came out. And the fact that they, you know, peddle this smut to <laughs> children is kind of mind blowing in retrospect. Uh, other right. than it had just become so part of the pop culture vernacular that, uh, well, you know, we can't avoid it. It's out. You know, Pandora's box has been opened. Just right. 
Um, speaking of like blasphemous, this movie, uh, Horror of Dracula, was given an X rating when it came out. My, how far we've come, I guess, for better or worse. Because I don't think I, w- I could even rate this as like a PG-13 movie today, you know? No? No, I mean, I'll, I often cite uh, uh, The Dark Knight for this because that's, the I think, the most recent PG-13 movie that's borderline R just because of Two-Face, mm-hmm. you know? And I feel like that interpretation of Two-Face is far more graphic than anything in the horror of Dracula. Yeah, I mean, I, I I can certainly see that, you know, and and one of the good examples I think is when the vampire bride is trying to seduce Harker and she almost has him and then Dracula comes in th- clear eyes, <laughs> dry <Right>. eyes, contact <laughs> and then yeah. scariest shot in the film throws her to the floor. He just hauls off and smacks her, but you never even see it. Yeah. And then he just, like, she's off into the next room. Right. So for a movie that was accused of being exceedingly violent, it's pretty restrained by today's standards. Yeah, I I, I completely agree. But also, then, like, you got to go back to the time. And I guess, like, people had not seen movies like this. So if it's your first time kind of being desensitized to something like this, you would think, like, wow, this is very serious. Yeah, (laughs) I've been looking at black and white films my entire life. What do you mean, Blood's Red? (laughs) (laughs) Right. Because I've never cut my finger and seen that. I just thought I bled Hershey's (laughs) syrup. (laughs) Right, right. Oh, but it just, uh, you know, goes back to the fact of, or the um, perception of the first time you've seen something or like a large audience has seen something and then they have like a a negative reaction to it because it was the first time you've seen it, you Mm -hmm. know, like, you know, like the first time that I saw any horror is like burned into my like brain vividly, you know, so I can imagine that that is common among many people, you know, that type of like, Oh, the first time I saw something like that, that's crazy. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's it's a cultural watershed moment where yeah, you remember where you're at. You know, Dracula, the the Bela Lugosi film, people were fainting in the theaters and you know, you look at that and then it's <laughs> it's so Scooby Doo now. I mean, with the the tall staircases, the spider webs and the creepy building. I mean, it it is the definition of what a Scooby Doo cartoon looks like. But at the time, it was like, oh, my, this is the most frightening thing I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah. Just blew people yeah. out of their seats. Yeah. Um, and what I also realized after watching this and kind of paying more attention to it is how much of, like, Hammer movies have influenced so many things. Like, you know, you look at, I have a greater appreciation for what they did in uh, Fright Night. Uh, than I did before because it's like oh I know exactly what they're referencing now this isn't some like oh I'm a hokey like spooky guy yeah you know hosting a show it's like no he's literally trying to be Van Helsing he's trying to be Peter Cushing Peter Vincent know? Peter Cushing yeah yeah, you know, yeah. so <laughs> see what you did there <laughs> Mr. <right>. Comedy Man <laughs> yeah right. and even even the mannerisms when he he comes in to stake Lucy it's it's almost lifted right out of that and put into Fright Night. The, the way that he walks into frame with the stern, solemn sense of duty and hits that stake down. The only thing that doesn't happen is the blood doesn't, you know, kind of sexually hit his face. Yeah, right. You know, <laughs> right. That, that was something that would come later in other films and be iterated on. Um, but no, I just, I really appreciate, I guess that uh, going back to these movies, it, makes me appreciate things now and that these movies the newer ones and i'm saying 80s now as newer even though that's now 40 years ago you shut your mouth (laughs) it was yesterday (laughs) okay have we talked about this the meme where it's like oh yeah that was 40 years ago and you're thinking like oh so 1960 and they're like no 1980 you know 
It's that same thing now. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Like when someone says 40 years ago, I'm thinking the 1960s, not 1981. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) God, that's pathetic. Um, That's starting to catch up with me a little bit because I, I, against my better judgment, I watched uh, American Horror Story 1984. Okay. Not good. I've heard mixed things. Every single season collapses under its own weight as it goes on. Okay. Every single season. <laughs> okay. I I keep watching them because I like the canvas of ideas that they present. However, I just, I don't feel like they need to mix every single genre under the sun because to me, they invariably become unfocused and just really messy, lopsided execution. I like the ideas. I don't like the execution. You know, there's there's kind of too many vegetables in the pot there. That's fair enough. And I feel the same way. Um, I got through two and a half seasons. I watched the first two and then I watched, I skipped over Coven and then went right into the Roanoke one. Oh, I, I've heard that's one of the worst. Yeah, I got... Well, and you know, this wasn't recent when I did this. I think Roanoke finally made it to like Netflix at the time, you know? So it was like the, it was released in between the seasons, you know, between the next season coming out. So I tried to watch it and I'm just like, it's not hooking me anymore, you know? So I just jumped ship after that and haven't revisited any of the American Horror Story stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, 1984 did interest me, but then I kind of heard like mediocre reviews. And to be perfectly honest, shows have to be stellar for me to continue to watch them. You no, know, you're borderline unfair with that because, like, we were talking <laughs> yeah. about The Mandalorian. You got like three episodes, and you're just like, this just isn't doing anything. I hate the <laughs> the one episode at a time thing. It's like, my God, man, let them world build. <laughs> just a little bit more and you'll like it i mean i i will give you that as well i am extremely hard on like movie show or tv shows like i I, if it's not hooking me soon i I need that thing to like that i need my curiosity to be sparked and if it doesn't spark fast enough then i just kind of like i guess i'll like rebuild an engine and try a different form of transportation, you know, because this isn't this isn't doing it for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and like same with uh, um, Westworld, I got like two seasons or two episodes into the second season. I was like, I don't care anymore. <laughs> I just I want to go. Yeah, I I at least let the rest of that play through season two, and it's just kind of like, yeah, I, I think I'm I think I'm done with this. Yeah, so I am harsh, but. It's all right. It allows me to see other things, <laughs> get to the good stuff, and not hate myself for watching something. <laughs> but I mean, and to put it in perspective, I also wanted to jump ship on Breaking Bad a few times. <laughs> I'm just like, all right, come on, like, let's get going here. You know, I uh, if I rewatch it, I skip the whole first season and start from season two. Yeah, you know, no, that's fair yeah. with with the uh, the wife just kind of going along with shit and yeah you know not quite being a camilla soprano you know she she can't claim willful willful ignorance and right the uncle's story that kind of goes nowhere because he's not the one that busts him and right right so on and so forth but let's get back to um uh house of dracula i don't know what horror the of dracula see yeah. there we go with Good those God. Mad Lib titles. <laughs> House of Dracula, way different movie. <laughs> Is it even a thing? Yeah, yeah. House of Dracula. That's part of that. Uh, oh, you don't have the the Universal Legacy set, do you? No, not yet. Um, it. Uh, to be honest, it keeps fluctuating on Amazon. And like a month ago, it was like eighty dollars, and then I was like, I should have bought it then. Now it's like hundred and twenty. So I'm hoping that it like drops again soon, and then I'll snag it up. Yeah, I think I got that for right around a hundred, and that's 
you know, you, you don't need a blowout deal on that to make it worthwhile because it's oh, like no. 36 movies or something like that. <laughs> it's, you know, it's a lot. Yeah. It doesn't yeah. even matter that, that they're old. The The only thing that bugs me about that set is, is that it's the Dracula legacy, the Frankenstein legacy, the Wolfman legacy. Right. And then because it's the whole series, I think there's like five copies of Abbott and Costello meet <laughs> meet Dracula or whatever that movie was in there because that's technically part of each one of those series oh oh god i see what you're saying yeah because they just packaged the um individual series together instead of like the dracula legacy the frankenstein legacy oh i got it which if you were only (laughs) buying that it would be fine but then having them all together you've got like yeah like at least three (laughs) copies of abbott and costello meet frankenstein which is a fun movie and sadly only the second time bela got to play dracula now, he did get to play a, a very good Dracula ripoff in Shadow of the Vampire, which was produced for Paramount. Okay. That's a cool movie. And I think if you can find it on Amazon or whatever, you know, it, it's worth watching if you like those old, like, classic chillers. Because it's, it's got all the high points of, like, the fog and, you know, there's Bela doing his thing. And, you know, so it's it's cool. But I, I digress. So more of the differences are... Mina is not Jonathan Harker's girlfriend. She's the mother of Lucy. Right. The father is played by a very young Alfred Pennyworth, Michael Goh from Batman 89. <laughs> yeah, that that uh, I was uh, astounded to realize that fact because I was just like going through IMDb and I was like, oh, shit, it's Alfred. <laughs> oh, you didn't just recognize him? No, no. Um, It's. Uh, I don't know when you see an actor from like acting in something from the forties, um, and then see them in eighty nine, like they're the fifty eight. You don't see or well, yeah, fifty eight. Sorry, um, to eighty nine, and then you don't notice them in anything like since then, mm-hmm. right? You know, it's like you're just not. I, my brain just wasn't piecing it together. Like if you took Al Pacino now. Right. And you're like, yeah, that guy played Michael Cor or uh, whatever in Godfather. You'd be like, that's not the same person. <laughs> like, right. There's no way. But if you have followed the career and then it's like Scarface and then like all these other movies in between, you're like, uh-huh. OK, yeah, that's Al Pacino. But yeah, you, you put it together. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but just knowing like, yeah, I, I wasn't fitting it together. You know, I didn't recognize him. Well, and he must have been a slightly different class of actor in the London acting world because he didn't hang around for any of the other horror films, whereas a lot of Hammer films used very similar people with Peter Cushing, Christopher Lee, obviously, but like the women, Veronica Carlson, you know, like a lot of those characters kind of hung on, played different roles in different Hammer films and, and were very much mainstays. And, you know, kind of hammer horror stars. That's really interesting to me that they were able to do that because you see like, um, or, or maybe it was just a different culture, but you see like Scorsese and Tarantino who kind of have like strings of movies where they're using almost the same actors just in different roles, you know, mm-hmm. and you see that as like, wow, that's really unique. But you know, during this time, it just seemed like, oh, these are our, our studio actors and they're going to keep coming back to do different parts and different movies. And, yeah. You know, all work together to make different, different things, you know? Yeah, because yeah, it's a good boat to be on. And I don't know if it was a contract situation. It definitely was in the Universal Studios days because Dwight Fry, who played Renfield and the Bela Lugosi Dracula, he's all over the place, like in the Frankenstein films playing different characters. And no, it's just, it's really interesting to see that. Oh, the other thing that I keep thinking about is, um, I recently watched Django Unchained again. Mm. And when I, uh, watched, um, uh, horror of Dracula, I realized it's almost, it's the opening titles are very similar, you know, where it's like the big text and it's all red and, you know, uh, it's just, it seems like for Tarantino, it was like an old school way to introduce a movie, you know, but in, I mean, this was just the way it was done for like horror of Dracula, mm-hmm. you know, and these types of movies. Um, I don't know. It just like, it's so fascinating because it makes me also appreciate, you know, 
filmmakers now because they're specifically like moving or doing things in a specific way to acknowledge things from the past, you know, Mm -hmm. which you don't know that they're doing unless you know the history of it, you know? So it's nice to be able to be like, oh, that's where that came from or that's calling back to this specific thing, you know? Yeah. Film is one of the few mediums where you can, kind of play with being a plagiarist in certain ways and it's acceptable (laughs) (laughs) because visually it's fine but like literally and from a storytelling standpoint mm -mm, no don't do it no yeah but but visually it's like oh cool that's that thing from that thing and i remember that yeah yeah. (laughs) exactly did you know that they didn't even uh have the rights yet hammer horror didn't have the rights to go ahead with a dracula movie so it wasn't in public domain at that point? Well, it, it's really interesting, and I often wondered about this, especially when you think about Disney, because of, you know, Cinderella, uh, several other grim fairy tales, uh, whatever, wherever the fairy tales came from, because the fairy tales, most of them for themselves, and, you know, Bram Stoker, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, they are the literature is in public domain the movie rights though are not uh which is like i feel like it's splitting hairs because what could you make a book based off the dracula novel and be okay can you use the name dracula without having to go through universal studios you know Mm -hmm. but anyways uh so for movie making um Hammer Horror didn't have the rights yet, and they had already started filming Horror of Dracula, and uh, it wasn't until um, pretty far along into production that they finally got the, they finally like inked a contract and rights management between Hammer Horror and uh, Universal Studios, you know, or it was Universal International at the time. Yeah. No, that's interesting. Yeah, and and it, it you see that a lot with you know some of these TV shows like Daredevil. You know, you watch Daredevil in the opening credits, created by Drew Goddard. You didn't fucking create Daredevil, but he created Daredevil for the TV show that we're watching. You know, so now right. it's like you're taking some weird satellite ownership of of a character. You didn't really have a hand in creating, right? You know, right? But formatted for the screen. <laughs> yeah it's it, i just i find all that really interesting because it's like you can argue the same thing against disney like mm-hmm. could could you make a cinderella movie you know and then like would disney be okay with that because really like the source material is free to like it's public domain you right. know that's why you can go to any like nationwide bookstore and have their imprint here's our cinderella book well and at the risk of speaking out of turn i think that's partially why they've been accused of plagiarism themselves at times like the lion king very famously you know look into that sometime right okay yeah i just uh it's it's really interesting to me you know like how just the legality of who owns rights and what but anyway so yeah it did get inked until march 31st and like i want to say production started yeah this is crazy so uh, production began on this movie on November 17th. They didn't ink a deal until March the next year. <laughs> so, the whole thing would have been done. Yeah, yeah. And it, it, it's like, can you imagine the stress that everyone's under? Like, they all signed on to make this movie. They made the movie. Everything's done. But is it going to be released? Well, if they were smart, they wouldn't have let that on. You know, that would have stayed behind the the doors of the business general manager kind of thing. Because you you don't bring your bullshit, your business bullshit to set. No. Unless you're a jackass and you don't know what you're doing. Because that creates unnecessary stress. That creates the situation you're talking about where, you know, and I've got my own stories I won't bore people with. We're just like shit was going on behind the scenes. And it's like the actors don't need to know that I rewrote the whole script and wrote an entire (laughs) character out of the scene on the off chance that this person won't show up today. <laughs> right. You know, because right. then it's like, do I have to re- memorize this? Do I not have to? What version are we doing? Mm-mm, you don't have to know any of that. I just, you know, <laughs> I'll spring it on you if I have to, but 
never came to that thankfully so uh let's talk about the look of this movie mm-hmm. uh for a little bit i actually love how this movie looks and i'm always reminded of um like temple of doom when um harker walks into the castle for the first time you know like i feel like that it's very similar or that you know temple of doom or maybe spielberg was trying to like emulate this style of shooting you know well what visual quality makes gives you that feeling um it's like the depth and lighting uh it's not none of it is soft lighting in this movie it's always coming from a very specific angle so um for me when i see that in movies there's like usually a hard like highlight on an angle like okay uh it's hard to explain like there's like banisters and stuff in this this castle so but the light was basically coming from the door that harker walked in from so on sides of flat shapes you see this like really sharp highlight and then almost blackness going away from it Mm -hmm. does that make sense Mm -hmm. um and i felt like that was similar to certain things uh before like they get into the mines and temple of doom that it was similar to uh this movie Oh, and I'd, it, and, I'd have and to and rewatch it's vocal that. Depth, or not vocal depth. Um, it's just perspective depth in each scene uh, seems similar to me. In that there isn't a ton of it, because this movie has a very like stage play look to me. Well, it does, but when they have like, but that's only when they're like close up, like when it's like half the torso up on the actors. But like with their some of their wider shots, it seems like there is a lot of depth. I don't know. Maybe yeah. Maybe. Yeah, and I, I think that's when they're switching back between locations and their sets. Because Dracula's okay. whole main hall, that's a set. But then when they go into his tomb, which they use a lot for not only the opening credit sequence, the very cool gothic imagery, like that, you know, that has to be a real cemetery somewhere with minor alterations to set it up for that. You know, but then they they come back for the vampire slaying and things, and that's clearly a location. There's there's another shot that that kind of always cracks me up when you know it's supposed to be nighttime, but it looks like broad daylight. When you know, look upon this house as your own. Okay, thanks. Click click. What he locked me in the room? <laughs> like, how am I supposed right. to look upon <laughs> this as my own? You know, yeah. Make yourself at home. I'm gonna lock you in your room. And then he looks out the window. And it's like broad daylight, and he's just <laughs> walking it down. Is. It is. If you went to a creepy castle like this, and the, like the owner locked you into a room, would you instantly feel like you were going to die at some point? Like I'm going to be a prisoner for a little bit, and then I'm going to get killed somehow. My first thought is, I hope that window opens because I'm going to have to pee <laughs> in, in <laughs> probably an hour here. You know what I thought about when I saw it? Not if I had to pee or anything. I'm like. Man, does that room have snacks? Like, <laughs> is he gonna be able to eat something? Because I, I mean, I get hungry every like two hours, man. You gonna yeah. lock me in until the next morning? It's We're gonna true. Have problems. Yeah, you do. <laughs> you, you would eat the door off the hinges and <laughs> just be out of there. It's so stupid that I'm like, what about the snacks, man? <laughs> Go downstairs in the fridge. Yeah. <laughs> like, this is the talkiest Dracula in the entire Dracula series. I think he has more dialogue in this one film than he does in the next six. And it isn't even that much. It's not a lot. Does he only talk to um, Harker? Pretty much. It's it's kind of hissing the rest of the time. Right. You know, I, I think he has a little light dialogue with one of the other characters, and then he's pretty pretty quickly outed as a vampire. And after that point, he's like the monster in a horror film. Okay. I didn't know that this was the first movie that had um, vampire fangs. Was it? Yeah. Yeah. This was like the first uh, movie to have to show or to have vampire fangs. I'm just like, wow, I just assumed that that was always part of uh, vampire movies is showing fangs. Yeah. And it really makes you want to watch like the old Universal stuff because my memory is that Bella had fangs. Now no. he didn't, although they did. They did kind of crib one of the, one of Bela's signature things, where 
he had the hypnotism look and and there's a slant of light across his eyes yeah. So when he comes into Lucy's room, he's got that slap, even though that wasn't in Dracula, that was in White Zombie, <laughs> you know, but they're still very conscious of what Bela did and then taking what people knew it for and trying to iterate and, you know, advance. That's really fascinating. So that the uh, hypnotic eyes, that's not even from a, a Dracula movie. No, because in Dracula, his hypnosis was the, the Hungarian like the, the hand. Like yeah, the, yeah, yeah, and they kind of mentioned that in Ed Wood, like you must be double jointed and Hungarian, you know, because Johnny Depp's trying to imitate him doing that. So the hypnosis bit was actually from White Zombie, and if you just like type in, you know, Bela Lugosi White Zombie, you'll probably come across that that exact screenshot. I. I feel like this is the Mandela effect all over again, because I, you know, like everyone thinks of, I do too, as the hypnotic eyes being from like the Dracula movie. No, oh, everyone you know? thinks that this thing, like the throwing your, yeah. your elbow over your face, everybody thinks that's a Dracula thing. Never happened. It's from Plan 9 from Outer Space. <laughs> Bela Lugosi died during production of that film. Yeah, the guy that they got had looked nothing like him so they just put a dracula cape on him and he covered his face so people wouldn't know <laughs> that it wasn't yeah even though the guy's balding on top of his head and it's like that's not being lugosi i mean you know it's just clown show bullshit left right and center but you know that's <laughs> one of those things that just kind of becomes matriculated and, and somehow becomes part of the pop culture vernacular and it's so interesting uh and then like i want to suck your blood that's mm -hmm. like not from dracula either no. But people, if you say that, people have, like, a mental image of Lugosi, you yeah. know? Really interesting to think where all that shit came from, because it's uh, awfully wrong, <laughs> you know? <laughs> right. Um, so, uh, Dracula getting destroyed. Um, I was luckily enough to not... I didn't know that uh, when this movie came out that... Um, that this final scene was edited greatly and um it has since been restored in the version that i have but for a long time um they didn't have access to it the the original film couldn't be found um and parts of the film were actually destroyed in a fire mm -hmm. and so they were able to like remaster it with uh print editions you know that were shown in theaters yeah. or whatever yeah um but uh like his whole decomposing scene and turning to ash yeah that whole scene was like really edited um so luckily enough the version that i just bought is the restored version you know i didn't i didn't notice know that before i bought it or else i would have been like is this the right one you yeah. know is so that's cool i i i don't know that my dvd has that probably has not the restore Restored yeah, I've, I've seen the original footage, the extended bits. Um, it's not much more impressive than what's in the film. It's just more kind of a what's there. It's right. just that, you know, the censors considered what was there so graphic at the time, even though it's, <laughs> you know, kind of like dust on a skeleton. And I mean, it's very cartoony when you see like the fangs kind of on top of what looks like a dust bunny and. And, and then this phony <laughs> hand is kind of covering his face and yep um and then there's like the eyeballs that don't disintegrate you know mm -hmm. so it's just like these perfectly like white eyeballs and all this like decayed dust you know yeah. it's kind of kind of silly looking but um i did i did like that uh that last that last sequence of like you know van helsing running across the table and like I thought he was like, I kid you not, when I first saw it, I thought he was so afraid that he was going to run up and jump out of the window. <laughs> Just dive out the window like, a, <laughs> yeah. oh, what was yeah. that show? Danger 5 or something where like at the end of every single episode, it was an Australian TV series. And at the <laughs> end of it, every single episode, Hitler always gets away by jumping out of a window. <laughs> it doesn't matter if he was like underwater or whatever. He'd just jump out of a window <laughs> it's not it's not a good show don't watch that show okay. i it okay. wasn't i'm not recommending that one because that sounds hysterical 
Yeah, <laughs> that's probably one of the best jokes in the whole thing. The rest okay. of it is just, I don't know, I'm along for the ride on this bizarre TV series. But, I, I, yeah, that scene's great. The music's fantastic. Like, it has that, like, fever pitch as they're running around the castle. And, you know, it, it kind of builds and builds to this kind of, like, delirious feeling with the... The various flutes and things that are, dun, 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 you know, as they're running around. And then, yeah, he runs, grabs the window. Um, but then while he's doing that, he casts the shadow of a cross by just grabbing two things and yeah. kind of doing that. And, you know, that kind of became a popular thing. Like when people do this, you know, that's another thing. I, you know, yeah, once again, this is great for radio, all these hand gestures. <laughs> I'm making a cross with my fingers, which may or may not work on, on a vampire <laughs> based you, off you, this film you just got to believe it you got to believe that it will work and it will work oh see now that's where the films get a little bit interesting right because by the time we get to the third film dracula has risen from the grave the main character is an atheist and it doesn't work because Ooh. he doesn't believe in god uh-oh which was a really cool really interesting play on that okay I want to watch that one next. It's it's cool. <laughs> so, yeah, might might be uh, buying another movie on Amazon today. Yeah, <laughs> so. that that was one of my biggest influences in making the redeadening. Was was Dracula's Risen from the Grave? Nice. Okay. I, I just as a whole, I feel like uh, like my favorite holiday is Halloween. It's always been Halloween, and I just feel like it's. The visuals in this movie are what I think a Halloween night should look like, you know, like the creepy castle and like the just the creep. The overall aesthetic of this movie is what I think about when I see think about Halloween. Does that make sense? Well, it's classic you know? gothic horror. Yeah, and I chamber love horror, whatever you want to call it. But I I feel like nobody has done gothic horror as inclusively all-encompassingly well as hammer did it just because they had that kind of golden era where it kicked off a second age of horror and they really took out the elements that became saturday morning cartoon stuff mixed that with the color film you got a little bit of gore a little bit of you know low-cut dresses on the ladies so there's a little bit of something for everybody but then you've got that wonderful gothic sense in there with the sets. And even though a lot of it's like matte paintings going into the background, it's just like, my God, this is, it's just, it's visual gold. It is. Uh, that's the best way to put it is visual gold. Um, it's a treasure like to watch it. Um, and it made me like really appreciate that, you know, uh, we have like physical disc, like the available, the availability to actually own these things. Because it's unfortunate that, like, for so long, it or, I mean, it took me forever to jump on the bandwagon just because, you know, lack of knowledge that these things existed, you know? The Hammer films, you mean? Yeah, yeah, because, you know, like, my, my view of it is there was, like, the Universal Monster stuff and then, like, nothing in between until the mid-'90s as far as, like, vampires and these types of stories. Sure, there were vampire movies, you know, but... Uh, it's unfortunate that, like, I just didn't have this growing up. I think, like, I would have loved to watch these as a kid, you know? But with every new iteration of technology, whether it's VHS to DVD to Blu-ray to 4K, there's always something that goes missing each time these new formats come out, you know? Um I guess I'm just thankful that there's companies or companies are putting them out again, you know? Mm -hmm. So, because a lot of this stuff will get lost if you're not paying attention. If you don't have someone like you, for example, that knew about these long before I did. <laughs> it's like, what are you talking about? Yeah. Christopher Lee as Dracula. What say you? I don't understand <laughs> that statement. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Now, the one thing I wanted to add was how forward thinking they tried to make the van helsing character as a man of science as a man on the cutting edge of things and probably the best scene in the movie because he's always one step ahead of everybody where their doctor comes in and says it's anemia and he's like no no no, no it's it's a vampire <laughs> trust me <laughs> like garlic here over there 
you know, that's what you want to do or she'll die, you know, do it or don't. That's on you, (laughs) (laughs) you know, but the scene where he's dictating his notes into uh, a recorder and then the servant comes in and it's like, pardon me, sir. You, I'm currently talking to someone. I was talking to myself and he's just, he's no clearer because his primitive brain has no idea, <laughs> you know, even though the simple explanation that he just got, he just walks out of the room as confused as when he walked in. But that's a great scene of just showing that like, oh no, here's the science, whether it existed at the time or not. I, I don't know. That oh, it those did. did. On, on it like those a did. dictaphone or something. Yeah, it was, um, uh, it was uh, the predecessor to the vinyl you know, like the discs that we have Mm -hmm. still to this day. But um, it was the same technology of a needle being able to make audio files from something that's carved into like a a waxed surface. Okay. So like there was the ability. However, they were like super fragile. They were very delicate. And so even if you could record it, those would break eventually. So like what was the point? Because it was... I mean, yes, you had a record of what you said or what was told, but sooner or later it was just going to break anyways. And I'm not saying it's like sooner or later where it's like you have an external hard drive for 10 years and maybe the technology gets a little bad, so you have to copy it and put them onto a new hard drive. Right. No, it's just like, eh, it might be gone tomorrow. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So it's like, what's the point? But yeah, it's really interesting. I um, And the reason why I know about that is that there was... um, Do you remember on... um? It was like maybe G4 or something or like a tech channel. Um, well, it was like a tech review channel. Um, I, 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 the name's escaping me right now, but I'll think of it. But they had a guy on that like was talking about um, the different forms of recordable technology as we move forward. Because the, like to date the show, they were talking about how you could burn your own CDs now. <laughs> you oh, know? Yeah. So, like this is like maybe early 2000s if not before that mm-hmm. right so this guy comes on and he's like yeah it went from this to this to this and he shows one of those cylinders and he's like oh yes this is priceless like it's it's amazing that this is still intact and he's like rolling it around and it shatters <laughs> it's like oh shit wow like right uh, and, and uh the hosts were like kind of like a yikes moments yeah you know we're Um, not liable for that right but yeah like you could use that i'm not sure when that came out but um i mean what what van helsing was doing was like as i recall like that would have that would have existed then you know Mm -hmm. to record audio like that um have you ever listened to a record player on one of those or a record on one of those old players my mom has like an antique one that's basically like a foghorn with a needle on it. <laughs> <laughs> the big the big cone coming out of it, the big horn. It's your speaker. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I don't have anything like that. My my parents had one. I have some records. Um I, I don't have my own record player at the moment, but I, I do have several old records that you know I used to be able to listen to and I just I haven't for a while. But you could always hear like the scratching from the brush that was mm-hmm. there to clean it up but it made it more noisy sounding because it was brushing and the needle was picking it up as it went along so <laughs> yeah yeah anyway well i love this movie i really do it's fantastic i recommend this one the third one dracula's risen from the grave uh if you're still curious taste the blood of dracula it's not bad Skip the modern ones, 72 AD, go right to Scars of Dracula, okay? Um, That's pretty good. I kind of consider that, like, right in there. Prince of Darkness, a lot of people really like that movie. It's okay, you know? It's it's more hardcore than what's presented here, but I I feel like they lose some of the drama when, when they're doing that. Because it's just more like of a straight up like horror film, and then they just don't give a shit about anything else, okay. Plot wise, in that, um, okay. But it's a cool movie. I honestly, the only stinkers in the whole series are the two ones where they tried to go into modern times and make him <laughs> make him a James Bond villain for some reason. Right. I, I I have watched that one, 
and I didn't like it that much. Um, Taste of Blood of Dracula, I haven't seen in a long time. Because um, I bought, I had the, the only Hammer movies I had seen up until this weekend, the weekend that we were recording this, had been uh, this one, uh, Taste of Blood of Dracula, Dracula 1970, whatever, and then another one. And I can't remember the name of that. I had it in like a four pack. They released like the, like the, you remember those like nasty design? They yeah, no, I, I do. Like the four pack. I do. Because you're like, pack. oh, I bought these hammer films. Oh yeah. Which ones? Those are all the worst ones. <laughs> like, why, <laughs> why do they put them in this pack? But I did watch, I bought uh, this, this one and Frankenstein must be destroyed, which I thoroughly enjoyed. I thought it was fantastic. Uh, but that's all I can re- recommend right now. So take Brian's word for it, <laughs> you know? Uh, but I loved Frankenstein must be destroyed. Yeah. It was so cool. We'll get to that. Super one dark. I love that. Super movie. dark. I, yeah. That's, that's my favorite one in the hammer Frankenstein series. Now, Martin Scorsese, his favorite one is Frankenstein created a woman. Mm. <laughs> no, I, okay. There's at least three other ones I like better than that. Okay. Okay. Uh, which ones? Well, must be destroyed. Obviously. Right. Revenge of Frankenstein is, yeah, it, it's got some interesting ideas, but the execution kind of falters. Frankenstein created a woman. It, it's basically, it, it's more of a slasher film. Uh, but the interesting thing is that it's more of a metaphysical monster because it's about transplanting the soul and uh, like take, trying to figure out the science behind what makes people people and then transplanting that instead of the gory thing of let's, let's put the brain in this other guy and <laughs> see what happens. And thematically, I, I can see why an intellectual would like that movie better. I don't know. I I'm I'm trashy. <laughs> I I like must be destroyed. I want to see the brains. Show me the brains, yeah. damn it. Yeah. Oh man. Excellent. Okay, I think that wraps up this episode. If you can give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, it'd be appreciated. It helps us get the word out and what we're doing shines a light on everything. And if you can follow us on social media at post credits podcast on Instagram and Facebook, we'd appreciate it. Sounds good, man. All right, until the next one.